if you know anyone, if you've got kids or no kids, this is going to be awesome. We've got over 200 people registered already. Earlier this week, I was asking, like, how many can we register? And they were like, oh, let's see how many we can register, okay? So if you aren't registered, go ahead, check it out on the website. Invite some people to it. It's going to be a really cool thing. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Pastor Matt is gone, so uh, you've got me this morning. The good news is that we preach from God's Word, and uh, that's where the power lies, not in the, the vessel. And so uh, we trust in God's Word, and we're going to hear from God's Word this morning. It's so actually, to begin that, I'm going to have a stand, and we're going to read from Romans chapter 12. Last week, we restarted our series, The Romans Road. This is the fourth installment of that series, and here's where it will draw to a close. Uh, looking at Romans chapters 12 through 16, Pastor Matt preached the first half of Romans 12 uh, last week, and we're going to look at the second half of Romans 12 this week, starting in verse 9. And I'm going to ask you guys to be involved in the scripture reading this morning. So if you see back here, uh, there are verses broken out kind of bit by bit here. Um, the verses that are bolded like that, that's you guys. The verses that are not bolded, that's me. So I'm going to invite you uh, to read along out loud with me as we walk through this, starting in verse 9 with you. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we picked back up in our series last week, if you were here with us, Pastor Matt encouraged us from those opening verses of Romans 12 to offer our bodies, our minds, and our service to God wholeheartedly. But the call to do this was grounded in Romans 12.1, in view, in light of God's mercy. Because all of Romans 1 through 11 was displaying God's grace, God's mercy in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is, 
Do all of these things that we're going to look at today, do all of these things in response to what Jesus has done in you and what he is working through you. Paul moves on and he says, uh, right at the beginning of chapter 12, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that kind of, that, that's kind of what everything that follows is. Everything that Paul talks about from, from verse 2 to the end of the book is talking about here's how we transform our minds and become more and more like Jesus, to look more and more like Jesus. And so in uh, verse 9 and on, Paul begins to flesh out what it looks like to offer all of ourselves to God. And I don't know if you noticed this while we were reading, but it was like a ton of little like clips. Do this, do that, do this, do that, think this, think that, think that, think that. You guys notice that? It's kind of how it read. It kind of feels like the book of Proverbs, where it's like these little, all these pithy little short sayings. And I think Paul is perhaps um, stylistically trying to, to be like the Proverbs. And I think he's doing that to, to say, hey, here's, here are the Christian Proverbs. Here, when you accept Jesus, here's how life works now. This is God's kingdom. This is kingdom living. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. It's difficult to preach things and to teach things when they're, when they're these short little clips. I like, to, I like to make things cohesive, have a nice, nice structured outline. And it's hard to do that with a passage like this. But we're going to try anyways, okay? Uh, so bear with me. There's one kind of overarching thought, though, that governs this whole section, and that's this. It's a pretty basic thing, but helpful for us to hear. Genuine Christian love hates evil and holds fast to good. Genuine Christian love hates evil and holds fast to good. It's a basic enough concept it's also the basis for what Paul says here and is fleshed out in a variety of ways. What Paul seems to be doing is uh, he's helping us apply this concept to really any specific situation in our lives. Genuine Christian love hates evil and holds fast to what is good. Is that a great sentiment? It's a great sentiment, right? Super vague. Super vague. So what Paul's doing is he's exemplifying what does this mean? What does this look like? And as we dig in to the text this morning, we're going to move from kind of this uh, abstract sentiment to actionable steps. Now, I, I, I saw this gentleman walk in. I don't know if I can say his name, but there's, there's somebody here who has used the phrase actionable steps, and I feel weird saying it without saying that somebody told me that. I, and now I feel really weird saying that, so. You know who you are. But I stole this from somebody in this very room. Um, we're moving from abstract sentiment to actionable steps here. And so as we walk through it, first, uh, we're going to see Paul list these examples of genuine Christian love expressed in various areas of life. And that'll hopefully help us kind of evaluate ourselves. And then we'll see Paul talk about the mindset needed for genuine Christian love. And after we have uh, gone through those things, hopefully they've prepared our hearts so that we can receive the hard stuff at the end, which is the extremes of genuine Christian love. And so hopefully uh, the Holy Spirit will prepare us to receive those things. With that being said, would you pray with me? 
God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray that as we engage with it, you would remove distraction and allow our hearts to fully focus on you, Jesus. That we would know your grace, even as we hear uh, different commands. And even as we might look in our hearts and see, see that we are failing, would we know your grace? And we know the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts and allow us to walk in genuine Christian love, even to the extreme. We need you for that. Be with us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start with the examples of genuine Christian love. If you've got your Bibles or if you've got your apps, you can open up to Romans 12, starting in verse 9. We see these examples in uh, verses 9 through 16. Paul starts out there in verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. That word there literally means let love be without hypocrisy. Paul is doing exactly what he does in 1 Corinthians 13 where he lists, right before this, he lists gifts. And he says, use your gifts in the church. And then he goes on and says, but if you don't express love while you're doing them, those gifts are worthless. Because if you're using them for yourself, then you're, you're really just trying to exalt yourself instead of uh, engage in the purposes of the Lord. And so let love be genuine as you seek to offer your service, as you seek to offer your mind, as you seek to offer your body to the Lord. It doesn't matter what you do if it's not uh, done in love and done because of Christ's love for you. Let love be without hypocrisy. Self-giving self love must remain central as we seek to be transformed by the Lord. It's, it's God's self-giving love that has brought us into new life to begin with. And so Paul says, embody that love. Live in that love. Soak it up so that you exhibit that love as well. Now, all the examples that come after it flow from this concept that in verse 9, that genuine love hates evil, or as it translates there, abhors evil and holds fast to what is good. Holds fast to the good. That word for holds fast there is the word for cleave, like a husband and a wife or spouses coming together. Hold fast as if you're married to the good and hate evil. One commentator says that, Paul is warning us about making our love a mere pretense, an outward display or emotion that does not actually conform to the nature of God who is love and who has loved us. The way that we combat that, as Paul says, is genuinely in your heart, hate evil and hold fast to good. Hold fast to the goodness found in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say that genuine love will be characterized uh, by hating evil, clinging to good. So what does it look like? It's still vague. The next nine statements, starting in verse 10, these next nine statements, I'm a grammar guy, so I'm sorry. I'm going to get really excited for a second because I love grammar. Wow, cool, Jason. I do. Um, 
But the next nine statements, they all, they all read the same exact way. It's tough to translate it in English because it doesn't really come out naturally this way. But all these are basically, with reference to this, be this. With reference to that, do this. With reference to this, do that. These are all examples about reference to this, reference to that. Paul's taking these spheres of life and saying, this is what genuine love in these different areas looks like. So let's see what he says here in these examples. He goes on, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Right? Treat one another as family. The, the early church, they saw themselves as a family. And at this, uh, at this stage in history, your family was super important. Your family determined what your occupation was, what your dad did, your grandpa did, and your great-grandpa did, and your great-great-grandpa did. Where you lived, this was your ancestral land. That's just where you lived. This is just what you did. These were your neighbors. You don't like them? Too bad. Learn to live with them. Just like today, right? Got to love your family. You know, you got to love me despite my affiliation with some uh, better sports programs and teams than you may find here in Minnesota. You got to put up with me. Love one another with brotherly affection. Paul goes on, with reference to honor, outdo one another in showing honor towards one another. Celebrate the achievements of others. Defer to each other. Where, where's your heart today? Is it easy for you to celebrate the achievements of others? Getting the spotlight instead of you? Can you celebrate that? Because genuine love expressed in a Christian way can celebrate the achievements of others without feeling threatened by it. Paul goes on, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. He knows the temptation for us is as we go on in, in the Christian life, whew, it gets hard. More, we're talking day after day after day after day, like, I, I thought I was a patient person, and, and now I have a toddler and an infant in my house, and I guess it's not really an infant anymore, but I have two young kids in my house. I thought I was patient, but apparently not, because it is day after day after day, and tomorrow always comes. And as we walk in a culture that is more and more opposed to the gospel, for us it is day after day after day. The call in Romans 12 too is to not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. That takes work. It's hard. It's a slog. And so Paul encourages us, be fervent. Keep on in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Don't lose steam. And even that phrase, be fervent in spirit, probably is a reference back to Romans uh, 6 through 8 where Paul really pushes into the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what he could really be saying there is, be lit aflame by the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do this by yourself. You're not going to do it in your own willpower. Be empowered. Be equipped. 
by the Holy Spirit. Lean into him to keep on. Paul continues to give us examples of genuine Christian love with respect to hope, rejoice. With respect to tribulations, be patient. With respect to prayer, be constant. Genuine love uh, will exhibit these things, a joy for the hope of our salvation. But Paul also recognizes that the Christian life isn't just a cakewalk, that it becomes difficult. And so he calls for a steadfastness in the midst of trials. And he knows that we can only have joy in our salvation and we can only have steadfastness in our trials when we are in direct relationship and conversation with the Lord by being consistent in prayer. Paul knows that that will drive us to walk in this. And he goes on. With respect to the needs of the saints, contribute and seek to show hospitality. Maybe if you've been in the church long enough, you may have heard the word koinonia. Uh, that's the word here of contribute to the needs of the saints. The, the idea is uh, a close partnership, a close fellowship with one another. Typically when Paul uses this words, he's talking finances. He's writing to the Philippians, thank you for your support. Thank you for your koinonia, the money that's helped me while I was in jail. That gospel partnership, it's typically a financial, a material meeting of the needs. What's the church really needed? They were poor. Uh, they were marginalized, and the church needed to, to bring their resources together, and when some had abundance, to provide, those, uh, to provide that abundance to the church and to those in need so that the church could continue to thrive and, and to flourish and, and really to exist. Genuine love sees our resources not as our own, but is meant to be used for God's purposes. That's what Paul is getting at here, that when we have genuine love that abhors evil and, and abhors taking what we have and selfishly keeping it, then, then clinging to the good means that we'll use those resources for God's purposes, not for my purposes. Whether that's financial or the gifts that he's given us or the opportunities that we have or the time that we have. Now, I'll give just two uh, examples of ways that we can walk in this uh, koinonia, in this fellowship. Uh, one is through our benevolence fund. The church has a benevolence fund that is set up uh, to, to meet tangible needs in the church, financial, material needs. When folks in the church are suffering, we have a fund um, that, that can allow to alleviate uh, th those hardships. And so you are encouraged as the Lord lead, leads you to give to that ministry. Every first Sunday, we have the opportunity in the back in the black buckets to give to the benevolence ministry. And as the Lord leads you throughout the weeks and the months, you are welcome to give and, and engage in koinonia that way. Another, another way that uh, we have to do this is through Acts of Friendship. Acts of Friendship is a ministry that serves to meet needs of people that need help moving or people that need help with projects around their home and don't have the resources, whether it's human resources or financial resources, to meet those needs. And so the church steps in and meets those needs uh, in, in koinonia, in gospel fellowship and meeting those needs. 
And if you're interested in that, you can visit our serve page and sign up to be a volunteer on that. And anytime there's a project, you'll get an email from me to uh, see if you're available to, to be there or at least pray for us as we do that. We've actually got a project later today. Uh, somebody who's serving here Sunday morning, uh, they're serving here at both services, and then he's going to go lead a project for us as we do a move in Bloomington. And it's just an awesome way to engage in koinonia. These are tangible examples that Paul gives us of what genuine love lived out looks like. And we can approach these examples in a few different ways. We can approach these examples and evaluate ourselves. We can look at each one and say, with respect to zeal, how am I doing? With respect to uh, giving uh, and the koinonia, how am I doing? With, with respect to brotherly love, how am I doing with putting up with one another? Well, all these things we can say, how am I doing? We can evaluate. But we can also look at these things and say, you know what? If these are expressions of genuine love and I want to have genuine love, why don't I start engaging in these things and growing in these things? Because as I engage in the Lord's work, that's going to grow my heart in its genuineness. And I will learn genuine love as I engage in those things and seek the Lord. And so there's kind of this two-way street there of evaluate but also engage. And it will help to form us into the image of Christ. And so I want to give us a few moments here to just sit on some of these examples. Ask yourself, as you read through that list of uh, verses 9, uh, verses 10 through 13, are you expressing genuine Christian love in these areas? Are you hating evil and holding fast to what God calls good with regard to these things? Do you need to receive God's grace this morning so that you can walk more fully in the genuine love that he is calling us to? We should take a moment to think about that. Genuine Christian love hates evil and clings to it, holds fast to the things that God say are good. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit. It's something I don't like to do with Scripture, but again, this is like the Proverbs, and it's tough to get a nice, neat, organized thing, and it drives me crazy, but just bear with me. We're going to do this. We're going to skip from... Um, verse 13 all the way to 16, all right? Don't worry. We'll get back to verses 14. I know some of you are concerned. We'll get back there. We're going to skip to verse 16 because this is really important for us to see the mindset needed for genuine Christian love. If you read verse 16, you read there, Paul says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. We could read uh, this whole section that, we, that we're in this morning as kind of a sandwich. You've got examples, and then you have this right here where it talks about the mindset, and then you've got more examples coming out. We could read it that way, and, and Paul may have designed um, this section that way so that the mindset is kind of right in the middle because the mindset helps you to engage in these things. But... 
we'll, we'll focus in here on verse 16. It's characterized by this word, phroneo, which means be mindful. And so when it says at the beginning of verse 16, live in harmony, it literally says, have the same phroneo with one another. Have this mindfulness that is the same with one another. Be of the same mind. It doesn't mean agree on everything. Okay, you, you guys can be Vikings fans. That's fair. As long as you're not Packers fans, we're good. It doesn't mean agree on everything. It doesn't mean think the same thoughts. But it means remember that we're on the same team, that we have the same new mindset and worldview that's being, been given to us by Jesus and that we are being transformed by through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that that is who we are. That is how we think. We view the world the same way through the lens of Christ, through the lens of the cross. That is how each and every individual who has received Jesus thinks. And Paul says, have that same mind among yourselves. Live in harmony. When I was in college, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. I got involved in some leadership with Campus Crusade for Christ. And my best friend, Jordan, he got involved in leadership with Campus Crusade for Christ. We were on the same team there. Now, being two uh, college students involved in campus ministry leadership, we were really mature. <laughs> and we would be in these leadership meetings, and I would like come up with a really great idea and then Jordan would ask questions about it, and I'd be like, ah, oh, dude, you heard my idea, right? Like, why are you questioning it? This is like the best thing ever. We get into this little bicker battle, and just go back and forth, just in the meeting, and everyone's kind of just sitting there, like, okay, is this going to end? And then the next meeting, same story, the next meeting, and the next meeting. Eventually somebody, I don't remember who, they were like, uh, this needs to stop. Like, what is this? So Jordan and I sit down and we have a really good conversation where we're reminded we're about the same thing. We disagree on a ton of stuff. All right, this, Jordan doesn't like ice cream. Who, who doesn't like ice cream? It's ridiculous. Or fun. It's like, just, I can say that. He's my best friend. We're, actually, we're leaving... Uh, for Chicago later today, we're going to see him. So I'll tell him that I brought him up. Uh, he'll love that. Uh, we disagree on a ton of things. He's a Cubs fan. I'm a White Sox fan. It's, it's a mess. But after that conversation, things changed. We were on the same team. We were no longer seeking our own things. We were no longer seeking our own preferences. We were united. And man, our friendship just blossomed and oh, it's grown ever since because of that one recalibration of we got to be living in harmony. We've got to have the same mindset. Paul goes on. He says, do not be haughty. There's that word again, phreneo. Don't let your, don't set your mind, phreneo, don't phreneo on exalted things. Don't set yourself up higher 
than you are. There's a stark contrast here. Don't set your mind on the plural, on the exalted things, because there's a multitude of things that we could care about. There's a multitude of ways that we can express our pride. Trust me, I know. I have figured out a lot of ways to express pride in my life. I'm pretty good at it. Paul says, no, don't set your mind on any number of those things and pursue those things. Set your mind on the one thing, the one mindset, the mind of Christ that you have received because you are forgiven sinners. Paul says, make that mindset what we're all dependent on. Don't be haughty. Don't be haughty, Paul says. Associate with the lowly. You may have a footnote in your Bible that says this could either mean the, uh, the lowly, like kind of lowly people, or the lowly uh, tasks, lowly things to do. I think it's intentionally ambiguous because the point here is envelop yourself in humility. That's the response to pride. Put yourself in positions where, where you can't be exalted. Put yourself in positions where you're not thinking about how you can further your own purposes. Associate with the lowly. Be enveloped in humility, not in haughtiness. And then Paul finalizes this mindset section by using freneo one more time. He says, don't be wise. There's that word again. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Okay, I'll take his advice. I won't be wise in my own eyes. I read a commentator about this verse. Here's what he said. He said, our overly exalted opinion of ourselves leading us to think that we are always right and others wrong and our opinions matter more than others often prevents the church from exhibiting the unity to which God calls her. Back in Chicago, there's a road from the suburbs into the city called 290. 290 is the worst. It always gets backed up. You never know when it's going to get backed up. Also, the posted speed limit on 290 is 55 the whole way. It's ridiculous. It should be 80. And if you're driving on 290 and it's clear and open, you should be going 80. Now, I'm driving down 290 one day, going 80, as you should be. And there are cars in the right lane or middle lane, and they're going 55. Okay, you're, you're going to mess up traffic. Get out of my way. I make a pass. I get back over. Then a guy flies by me going faster than 80. And I go, what are you doing? Why are you going so fast? <laughs> Unless you're driving the same exact speed as me, apparently, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm wise in my own eyes. Of course I'm the one that sets the standard. Be not wise in your own eyes. When we're wise in our own eyes, we have elevated ourselves to the position of God. 
It implies that we have the wisdom, that we have the final say on how things should be run and conducted in our lives. This mindset is antithetical to the gospel. Therefore, it cannot generate genuine Christian love that hates evil and holds fast to good because the evil that we hate is probably the stuff that people are doing that don't measure up to our standards and the good that we're holding to is apparently set by us. It cannot generate genuine Christian love. Said It kind of looks like, and Paul almost seems to uh, structure this like it's the Proverbs. If you know the Proverbs well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Be not wise in your own eyes. A mindset that envelops ourselves in humility and keeps God and his purposes at the center, that will produce in us genuine Christian love. And so I want us to reflect again. Are you living with this mindset? Do you care more about God's purposes or your preferences? Do you exhibit pride in any of the multitude things that we can be prideful about? Or are you actively seeking to envelop yourself in humility? Do you need to receive God's grace? And allow God's wisdom to transform your mind this morning so that you can bear the fruit of genuine Christian love. I think most of you are still there. You with me? Because we're on the home stretch. And it's shorter than everything else, but let me tell you, the home stretch is a doozy. So we're going to buckle in, all right? Can you handle it? All right. Hopefully, these things, seeing the examples of genuine Christian love, being challenged in our mindset, hopefully they've prepared us to receive the extremes of genuine Christian love. We'll start in verse 14. Paul says, Bless those who, who persecute you, Bless, yes, you heard me, and do not curse them. Then in verse 17 and on, to the end of the chapter, Paul says, Repay no evil for evil. Who knows the Old Testament? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. That's called the lex telionis. We, we, what somebody does is what they get. This is nutty for Paul to say this. Repay, what do you mean repay no evil for evil? Everybody gets what they deserve. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought. There's uh, Freneo again. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
See what I mean by the extremes here? Bless those who persecute you. Feed your enemy. Some of these, some of these values and virtues that Paul lays out, even in this section, you could find some parallels with some other philosophies in that day. They got there in a different way, and they weren't motivated by genuine Christian love. But, but they generally got to some of these things of honor and uh, of being not slothful but have some zeal. What Paul just said here, though, of bless your enemies, you can't find that anywhere in any writing until Christianity. It is singularly developed from Christ. It is uniquely Christian to say bless and do not curse your enemies and those who revile you and those who persecute you. There's a little bit of a fun wordplay here too that I think uh, really, really presses into the extreme. Where at the end of verse 13, Paul says, uh, show hospitality. Really that means pursue hospitality. Because that word pursue is the same word in verse 14 where he says, bless those who pursue you or who persecute you. And so while you are called to show hospitality, those who are showing you the exact opposite of hospitality and persecuting you, you're then also called to bless them. It's like a double negative, double positive, a double good thing, a double hard thing. If we follow and take this command seriously in verse 14, then the rest of what Paul says will line up for itself. To bless somebody instead of curse them doesn't mean that I'm giving them something. It means I'm seeking the Lord and that the Lord would show his favor upon them. That's what blessing is. If I'm praying and asking that the Lord will show his favor upon somebody, how could I at the same time ask the Lord to repay him for what he needs to be paid for? I'd have a split mind if I wanted to do that. If I focus on how can I bless my enemy, the vengeance piece will take care of itself. The repay no evil for evil will take care of itself because I'm being persistent in prayer and I'm seeking the Lord and asking him to bless the very people who are persecuting me and reviling me. I love how Paul says this in verse 14. Bless your enemy. Bless and do not curse. You know, I've heard some people say, yeah, I'll pray, I'll pray for my enemies. Oh, let me find some gruesome psalms. Yeah, let me, let me pray this psalm here about bashing their kids' heads against the rock. I'll pray for my enemy. Great. Bless and do not curse. If you read the book of Job, you may see that sometimes his friends tell him, curse God and die. Literally what that says is, bless God and die. There was this view that we, we honor God so much that we could never put it on somebody's lips to say curse God. So we'll say bless God. I think part of what Paul's doing where he says bless your enemy and then he says bless and do not curse is he's clearing it up. He's making it abundantly clear. When I say bless, I don't mean Bless. I mean bless. I mean do it. Because I don't know about you. When I read the Sermon on the Mount, when I read Jesus uh, talking about these extreme things that I have to do as a Christian, I go, okay, where, where's the line? How, at what point do I say, okay, this doesn't apply anymore? How do I qualify this with, okay, but in this situation, of course I wouldn't do that. 
I'm, I'm not the greatest at, at biblical Greek. I like to read in biblical Greek. And I'll tell you this, in the Greek, there's no qualifiers. Same as the English. You're not going to find something there that says, yeah, bless and do not curse, unless you've got a really hard thing. Then you're off the hook. There are no qualifiers. Bless and do not curse. When we bought our first home in Chicago, turns out this home had some water issues. I used to love thunderstorms. Sit out, sit kind of on a chair, watch the lightning, hear the thunder, hear the rain. I feel like I'm, you know, struggling with PTSD right now, though, because every time I heard thunder and saw the rain, it was like, okay, uh, where am I going to get my utility pumps and uh, where, where are the sandbags going to go? How are we going to keep this water out? Am I going to be up at 3 a.m. bailing water out? Like, great. Now, as I'm doing that, I'm going, okay, uh, it would have been really helpful if the person that sold us this house would have disclosed that this was an issue. I mean, they lived there for 20 years. I don't think this happened overnight. Then it popped into my mind, well, it's illegal, right? I wonder what we can do. Like, on principle, this is just wrong. Also, it's really inconvenient. We don't want to be a, uh, you know, like, we're spending some money here. Maybe we need to be compensated for this. Okay, those motivations are all right. But then a thought creeped into my head of, uh, this guy's got to pay. And by God's grace, at that moment, the Holy Spirit said, nope, 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 nope. You're done. Stop. Stop thinking about it. It's over. It's not the right motivation. You can't do it. Stop. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Bless those. Bless those who persecute you. Now, this is something that just happened to us. This, this didn't happen to me because I'm a Christian. It just happened to us. How much more so if we're persecuted and reviled and pursued for our faith, how much more so are we called to bless those who persecute us? To say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to play the eye for eye game. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do it. How much more so are we called to follow the example of Christ, who while we were still sinners and revilers and persecutors, died for us. If you want to find a line for the justification of, well, where does it end in terms of blessing my enemies? I think it ends in, in dying on their behalf. As Christ has done for us. Paul, you don't understand what my enemy has done to me. Have you seen the things they've written about me on social media? You don't get it, Paul. You don't know my situation. This is a stringently hard teaching. Can we agree? Don't soften it. It might make us feel better to soften it and say, okay, well, oh man, this person's like really, really done pretty good. And so they've kind of hit the bar. They've gone over the threshold. It may help us say, yeah, if, if, you, can, if you can kind of hit this arbitrary line of loving your enemy, great, you're good. And then anything beyond that, it's like a cherry on top. If you don't do it, okay, whatever, it's fine. You did pretty good. 
We are being transformed into the image of Christ. Christ who lived this perfectly. Don't devalue the image of Christ that we are being transformed into by setting the bar lower and trying to make it easier for us. Then that's about our achievement. It's not about what he's done. When faced with these extreme calls, the answer isn't to lower the the bar to make ourselves feel better. The answer is to thrust ourselves upon the Lord who's done it for us. He's done it. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I might be the closest one here to being perfect, okay? I may be the furthest from it, but nobody can be perfect like that. That's the point. Do we want to grow in genuine Christian love? Absolutely. And conform to the image of Christ? Absolutely. But the whole point is that Christ has done it for us already. And when we lower the bar and say, yeah, well, I tried hard enough, then we mar the image of Christ. We're being conformed into his image. That's going to take a ton of work of Holy Spirit and his patience just working those things out in us. And the Holy Spirit being kind and generous and saying, stop thinking about that. When he tells you to, when you are thinking and and fantasizing in your mind about, well, this this person, they're going to get it coming, stop. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and to work into you a genuine Christian love that says, God, somehow could you cause me to pray for this person and pray for their blessing, not for their demise. Paul ends on the same concept that he started with. Earlier, in verse 9, he said, Genuine love hates evil and holds fast to good. Now he brings up evil and good again. And he says in verse 21, after all of this, he says, Do not be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by those things. But overcome evil with good, with the goodness of God, with the Holy Spirit at work in you. Overcome evil with good. And we overcome evil with good. And in one sense, we overcome evil with good by allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us and maintaining a purity of motive that is genuine love being expressed in our words and our thoughts and our deeds as we respond to evil with good. But in a greater sense, we overcome evil with good when we walk in this because we've put Jesus on display. We've shown the world that he's transforming us and calling us to extreme forms of love. We are overcoming the evil around us literally with the good of Christ Jesus as he works in us. How sweet is that. To a watching world then, we have overcome evil with good because we committed ourselves to genuine Christian love. Hate the evil. Hold fast to Jesus Christ who is good. That's going to transition us to communion. Because again, Jesus says to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We, we will not achieve this fully in our own strength. 
when Jesus died for us, that was an expression of genuine love that is giving of himself even for those who hate him, even for those who reject him. And we're reminded of that at the table week by week, that while we were still sinners, Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed for us as an expression of the love that the Father has for us. And so this morning, I encourage you, we're going to sing a song in response, and during that song, to reflect and ask those questions. Am I experiencing and exhibiting genuine Christian love in my thoughts and my actions? In church, where you're not doing that, cast yourself onto the Lord. Receive his forgiveness. Walk in his grace. And after you've done that, feel free to make your way to the communion station that is nearest you to receive uh, the, the bread and the cup. And when we're done uh, responding in worship, I'll come back up and lead us through those elements.